As always, it's a pleasure to, to be in front of you this morning and to, uh, to be able to preach and, and share uh, the pulpit with, uh, with Darren and, and others who, who preach from here. So to get started, I wanted to ask you all a question. Have you ever seen the TV show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Okay. So um, let's see here. I'm seeing it down there. Let me, I got to do something real quick so that you guys can see what I'm seeing. There we go. Yes. All right. So this is Micro. And yes, this is not a photoshopped uh, photo. I did get to meet him in 2017 at a barber shop, uh, that's singing barber shop, uh, Internationals in Las Vegas. And believe it or not, Mike Rowe, not only does he do dirty jobs on that show, but he has an excellent voice, and he can sing a low bass note as good as any, okay? And so it was, it was a really good time to get to meet him and see and, and sing with him. But he had that show, Dirty Jobs, and I'm going to tell you, that show to me was interesting, okay? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, I like being grossed out. I don't know. Did you, did you, raise your hand if you saw it, if you watched that show. Keep your hand up if you were a fan of the show. Okay, a couple hands went down, but for the most part, we're a bunch of nasties in here, right? We like to see uh, gross things, and, and, and it's interesting to see all of that. Well, Mike Rowe was the host, and the show, if you don't know what it's about, it was a show about him performing difficult, strange, disgusting, or messy occupational duties alongside the job's current employees. And so, in each episode, a worker or a team uh, would take on Roe as a fully involved assistant for a typical workday, working hard to complete every task as best as he can, despite discomfort, hazards, or repulsive situations, he would do so. And so we see a couple of these pictures. They really don't do uh, the, the justice that the actual show does, but these are cool because, I mean, you see him here sitting in a pile of, of garbage, and, and honestly, that's exactly what he would do. So he would perform tax, uh, tasks such as worm rancher. Did you know there was such a thing as worm ranching? Someone's got to get the worms so that you guys can go fishing, right? Okay, so there's worm ranching. Septic tank technician. Yes, I'm hearing some laughter there. Good. Uh, sewer inspector. Sludge recycler. I didn't look that one back up. I don't, I don't really want to know what that one is. Owl vomit collector. Yes. All right. Owl vomit collector. Storm drain cleaner. You guys up for that one? crawl through the little drain and go down and, and uh, yeah, no, no thank you. The claustrophobia, I think, would start setting in. Road kill cleaner, because somebody's got to get it off the road with the shovel and everything. Just get it, get it out of there. Uh, fuel tank cleaner. I thought that one was, was interesting. And then also the, one of the best ones, leech trapper. Leech trapper, okay? So he would get gross, okay? Um, I don't know why he's holding a kid, um, but he is, and, and there you go. Uh, interestingly enough, though, after he completes each task, um, he recognizes how the job is even more difficult than he expected. 
And this often has him expressing admiration and respect for the workers' skills and their willingness to take on jobs that most people wouldn't. Okay? So this show ran for about nine, eight or nine seasons, and then it went over into Australia, and they had a couple spinoffs there, but it was a successful show, and Mike Rowe got to give us a glimpse of various jobs that we might not ever step into, okay? But what I want to highlight today is that we too can be put in situations that we might not like, and we're going to have to complete them because we have been tasked to do them. And have you ever been in a situation like this? A situation that you stepped into and it ended up being more difficult, more awkward, and more gross than you imagined? So I've got a personal story. I, uh, when I began working at the church in my hometown, I was 14, and, we, um, and I worked there through, through college. And so through that time, I got to see some gross things, got to see some cool things, but all the pinnacle of the gross. Are you guys ready for this? I think it's before lunch enough that it won't matter. I was asked to go into one of our electrical rooms, and for whatever reason, I don't remember what it was, but when I went in there, I opened the door, and I knew something was off. Okay, there was just something in the air that didn't feel right, and it certainly didn't smell right. So I walk into the room, and I notice that my feet are kind of slipping a little bit. Okay, so I get over to where the lights are, flip on the lights, and I look down, and there's a coat of sludge all over the floor. Our sewer line had backed up in the electrical room. And when I walked into the room and smelled that initial smell, that wasn't the worst of it. Once I stepped on the sludge that had been there for a a couple days, I broke open that barrier uh, that, that was keeping in the worst of the smell, and then it got really gross. And then it got really nasty. So then I got to spend the next few hours shoveling in to a trash can all of the sewer back up. And uh, it was pretty gross, okay? But it was a job that needed to get done, right? We can't just leave it there, but somebody has to do it. And I'm not going to tell you and pretend like I just willingly went and did that. I mean, I, I was told to do it. Um, because that's not a job that most people just volunteer to do, because it, it's gross. We know it's not going to be fun. We know it might be uncomfortable. We know this job or this task will, bring, it will come with a cost. So in our text this morning, we're going to look at someone who accepted a task they were given, and we will look at the cost that was associated with it. Megan, if you'll come up and read our Our passage this morning will be in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Megan. You know, oftentimes when we think of the birth of Jesus, our minds go directly to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and and 2, much like what we talked about last week. But although her her account is quite incredible, there is another important perspective to this wonderful story of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew's account, he outlines the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. But before Matthew arrives at the birth of Jesus, he begins the gospel outlining the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And without spending too much time there, I just got to be honest with you, when I was growing up, I got bored of the genealogies. I'd skip right over it and get to the good stuff, like Jesus being born. But let me tell you, what I didn't know then that I do know now is just how important that genealogy is. Matthew didn't just include that for fun. It wasn't just a history lesson. Before Matthew's readers read about the birth of Christ, they needed to see that this child's lineage is without a doubt from the house of David. So Matthew lays out a map that his readers would not only know, they would understand and see the significance of. And so now that Matthew has established Jesus' lineage, he tells us of a time when Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And so as we look in the ancient Jewish culture, becoming married was a three-step process. First, there was the engagement Parents or matchmakers would identify a suitable partner for their child. Very different from what we do today, yes? But after a match was made, the families would negotiate terms, including a bride price that the groom would pay to the bride's family. The second part of this process was the betrothal. Betrothal was a more formal and binding stage than our modern engagements today. It was often linked to a legal contract. Here, the couple was considered legally married, even though they did not live together or consummate the marriage. This stage usually lasted a year and could only be broken through a formal divorce. And thirdly, we've got marriage. After the betrothal period, the groom would come to the bride's house accompanied by a procession of friends and family to bring her to his home. See, I love that. I think that would be fun. I think that would be honoring and just so different to have a, basically, let's go get her and then let's have a party on the way back. It's just a celebration of, hey, we're, be, we're, we're married. And then they would begin living together and then they would consummate 
the marriage. In our text today, Joseph and Mary are in the betrothal stage. Married but not living together and have not consummated the marriage. And speaking of that, fidelity was expected with any stage of those three stages. It was expected to be honest with each other, to be faithful. It wasn't just, all right, well, we're not totally married yet, so I can do or see whoever I want to. Every stage was placed with importance, and it was important for them to stay true. And so this is where it gets complicated for Joseph, right? In verse 18, we see that before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean, on first glance of that, you and me, we just kind of go, what? What does that mean? What does that look like? My goodness, I can't comprehend that. This is strange. Legally, Joseph not only had the right to divorce Mary at this point, but according to the law, he was legally obligated to do something. So just to stand by and do nothing was not permitted and would have been frowned upon as well. And so the very next verse, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so many people say, well, what does it mean to be a just man? In, in our audience today, we might not see that divorcing her quietly is a just thing because that's kind of foreign to us and uh, that thinking. But because he had an obligation to do something, he decided, I'm going to follow the law, but I'm not going to make her look bad in front of the public. I'm going to try and protect her and salvage her identity as much as possible. When, when Joseph is called a just man, it means that, that he is a man that follows the law to the T. I'm sure he was a good guy. I'm sure he was nice, but that's not quite what we're talking about here. He was a rule follower. So when we see him doing this, yes, he was a just man. And if the last two verses weren't complicated enough, verse 20 introduces another facet of the story. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Okay? If I'm going through this, if I'm emotionally rattled, which I would assume he is, we don't, we don't necessarily know that, we don't see that, but as a fellow person who went through engagement process and who is married, I would be emotionally upset. I might not show it outwardly, but internally, I would be going through something, right? And so on top of that, that anger, frustration, hurt, now my dreams are being haunted by an angel. And so that's just another thing. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Nonetheless, this being a hard time, Joseph hears from the angel, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel says two things to help Joseph know this is real. Because if I'm Joseph, I'm upset, I'm going to need some reassurances. And we don't see Joseph question God here, but the angel gives him some things in this address to help him understand what he's going to be doing. First off, he addresses Joseph as son of David. This is a reminder to Joseph of who he is, of where he comes from, what his lineage is. And as he thinks about this, he's going to be wondering what is going on. But if I have a reference point, things are going to get a little bit easier. And so he addresses Joseph as son of David. Number two is the angel of the Lord quotes Isaiah 7, 14. When God communicated a sign through Isaiah to King Ahaz. Two chapters later, after seven, we have that well-known, for unto us a child is born passage. And so this is a passage that Joseph would be well aware of. He would know what this is. He, he would have read this many times. And so the angel coming to him in this dream not only calls him son of David, but quotes scripture from many, many years ago. So these two things will be very familiar. And obviously, what the angel said to Joseph resonated him. In verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He didn't just think about it. He didn't sleep on it for a week. The passage says, He woke up and he took Mary as his wife. This verse also speaks to Joseph's character as a man. He immediately does what he's commanded to do. Now compare this reaction to the reaction of Zechariah in Luke 1, 18 through 20. Okay? Two guys being revealed something supernaturally. And it says in Luke 1, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these words, which will be fulfilled, in their time. So, on one account, we've got Zechariah who doubted a little bit and said, How can I know this? Even though he was in that inner chamber with the incense burning, he gets an angel before him and gives him this, this, this prophecy, and he doubts it. I don't blame the guy at all, but he does doubt it, and he's reprimanded for it, right? I mean, he's, 
He's not able to speak for nine months. That's a long time to not speak. I remember we were reading this passage with, with Penelope, and she goes, nine months? So you wouldn't be able to talk to mommy either? I was like, no, baby, I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody for nine months. And so that was kind of a revelation for her that nine months is a long time. And these words are so powerful and so problematic for, for both Joseph and Mary. But Joseph takes it so well, and he just he does what the angel told him to do. When we consider the title of this lesson, which is, My Eyes Have Seen the Cost. My eyes have seen the cost. Do you see any cost that might be involved in being used by God to help usher in the Savior of the world? There's a lot of cost. There's a lot to to give up. So the question now is, what costs would Joseph have to pay? We talked about Mary last week, so this week we're going to talk about Joseph. And what cost would he have to pay? Well, one, there would be a social stigma involved with going through marrying Mary. The community's placed a high value on maintaining the sanctity of marriage, and deviations from the established norms were viewed negatively. So again, the law was indicating to to Joseph that he needed to do something about that. Okay, So culturally there would be a stigma. People would probably end up treating him different. Their ability to gain employment could be affected because now you would be labeled the guy that married Mary who was already had a baby inside her. Okay, that social stigma. That would be really hard to deal with. Number two, there would be financial penalties. If the betrothal was broken the party responsible for the breach might be required to compensate the other party. This might be paying back the bride price or paying additional penalties. Number three, there would be legal consequences. Since the betrothal is legally binding, breaking it required a formal divorce. Failure failure to go through the proper legal process could lead to legal complications and the potential for more penalties. And then lastly, there would be possible impact on future marriages. Just like today, the gossip of a divorce spreads like wildfire. The stigma attached to such situations could affect the reputation within the community. So it looks like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that Joseph stands to lose either way. There's going to be cost associated either way. But the greater cost is going to come as he accepts this task that the angel presented to him from God. Both Joseph and Mary knew what they stood to lose. But they counted the cost and knew the world stood to gain more than they might lose. So they said yes. To make this decision that Mary and Joseph made would have taken great amounts of faith 
and fear of Yahweh. We can see in in Malachi 3.16, it says, God acknowledges those who fear Him. It takes a great fear of the Lord to willingly endure the cost. I like this verse because it's very bold, but it's also reassuring. Because as we live our life, as we follow Jesus or attempt to follow Jesus, it's reassuring that it takes a great fear of the Lord to willingly endure the cost. This is not easy. This is not something we always just raise our hand for right away. Something that we've got to make a conscious decision to do, knowing it might not end well for us. And so Joseph did just that. He feared the Lord, and because of that fear, he was able to be obedient to the divine message he received in his sleep. Mary agreed to accept the shame that might befall onto her, too. And Joseph, agreeing to continue through the marriage, accepted Mary's shame that she might endure. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound like maybe Christ coming and enduring our shame, our sin, counting that cost to come and assume the sins of the world to save his bride? What a wonderful thing that is. Can you imagine going to sleep one night, one night as a man who is betrothed and whose spouse is pregnant with somebody else's baby. And then waking up with a completely different clarity of life. I mean, essentially, Joseph wakes up a different person. When he wakes up, he has now determined he is going to be the father of the Savior of the world. Again, think about that. I go to sleep... I'm just a man betrothed to a woman who has a baby. I wake up. I'm no longer just a man betrothed to a woman with a baby, but I'm going to marry the woman who is carrying the Savior of the world. That is huge. That is so big. And that would be so mind-blowing. In one night, Joseph's entire life has been shifted. It's safe to say that that was one remarkable dream and one that would stick with him forever. If you're like me, there are moments when you remember your dreams, right? I had one of those this week. I won't go into the details, but it's weird. But it's only glimpses of that dream. And as the week progresses, there's times I remember little details here and there, which is kind of cool. But I I think this one's going to stick. I think this one's going to stick and be one that he remembers forever. Clearly, there is a cost to fearing the Lord. A cost to following Jesus. A cost to the Holy Spirit and dwelling in our bodies. What's that cost for you? 
What's that cost for me? Like that's the, that's the question right now, isn't it? What does that cost? And so we've seen what the cost might have been for Joseph and for Mary. But let's look at some, some practical examples in, in, in Scripture. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Jesus calls his disciples to pay a cost, doesn't he? It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Again, we see this immediacy. It doesn't say, and after they gathered their nets together and finished mending them, they followed him. No, no, no. Immediately they left the boat and their father to follow Jesus. So what's that cost? What does that look like? Well, they left their family. They left the things that were familiar. They left knowing where their meals are going to come from. They meet this guy, Jesus, and they just decide to follow him because he said, follow me. And that's, that's huge. That's not easy. That's hard. It's complicated. It's uncomfortable. But he calls them. And dropping everything, right then, right there, they began to follow Jesus. Another example of the cost that Jesus requires is in Luke 14. This one's a little harder. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, when we read that, those are some really harsh words, right? Like, it's hard for me to think about just leaving my wife alone and following Jesus, this guy I just met. That's not an easy decision. That's hard. It's complicated. But he's very clear here, isn't he? He doesn't mince his words. If anyone can't do these things, they cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. This was not just a mere confession. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. I, I believe in you. This was so much more than that. Jesus, like Joseph and Mary, just like Joseph and Mary, these disciples counted the cost and saw that the cost was worth it. The cost was worth it. And astonishingly, they just went with it. So let's take a, a moment to ponder the cost 
that Jesus, the God-man made. Jesus, the God-man made. Philippians 2, well, we'll get to that here in a second. Let me, let me say one more thing before we get there. You know, today in our GLC classes, we're going to be, start, we're going to be talking about the incarnation. So what a great moment this is to talk about that cost. What did it cost for the incarnation to take place? The eternal Son of God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal Son, the God-man, took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Let's look at, well, I don't have that on here. I added that this morning. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 6 and 8. It says, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen? What a cost that Jesus made. If there's any question of what he paid, this is it in Philippians 2. He emptied himself. It wasn't a half-hearted notion. It wasn't a whim. He emptied himself. Set aside the divine, his glory, not the divine. He set aside his glory in order to come down and be a servant. There's a quote that many of you will read today in the GLC class that I want to highlight today. It's from Augustine, roughly mid to late 3rd century. It says this, The word of the Father, by whom all time was created, was made flesh and born in time for us. He without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wish to have one of those days for his human birth. In the bosom of his father, he existed before all the cycles of the ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered on the course of the years on that very day. The maker of man became man that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied in the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice itself, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline personified, might be scourged with a whip. That he, the foundation, might be suspended on a cross. That he, courage incarnate, 
might be weak. And he, security itself, might be wounded. And his life itself might die. You know, if you're a believer of Christ, you should be experiencing some cost in following him. There should be moments in our day-to-day that we recognize as us paying the cost for following Jesus. And honestly speaking, if you are comfortable in life and you're not experiencing the cost, then you really ought to be reevaluating your life and your walk with Jesus. This question comes to me and my family all the time. We think about this daily. Are we too comfortable? Are we sacrificing for the name of Jesus Christ? You might be sitting there and thinking, well, how, how am I going to pay this cost? What, what are you talking about? Well, here are some things that you might have to pay the cost in. Friends. The friends that you have right now might not be the friends that you need to be having in the future. Maybe those friends aren't, aren't building you up in, in a good way. Maybe they're bringing you down. Maybe they cause you to act and to say things that you, you really shouldn't be saying because they don't reflect Christ. Our family, our blood relatives even, that might be an area we have to sacrifice, even if they're... They're blood relatives. I mean, even Jesus said earlier in, in, to his disciples, if you, if you do not hate your mother, your father, your, your siblings, our jobs, we might have to sacrifice the jobs that we have because maybe those jobs are eating up all of our time and they're not allowing us to, to be in, in the presence of the Lord often enough. Maybe our jobs are causing us to pursue things that we shouldn't be pursuing. And for our younger people in the audience and listening online, our boyfriend and girlfriends, maybe we need to be reevaluating who we're pursuing, who we're pursuing a life with. Because maybe those people aren't taking us down a road that we should be going down. Sometimes we need to think about downsizing our daily lifestyle. Maybe we're living in a way that's above our means and it's causing us to have to work more. And because we're working more, we're we're spending more time away from our families. We're spending more time away from being in the Word on a daily basis. We're spending more time not praying and pondering the Lord. Maybe we have to reevaluate our expectations of what retirement looks like. Because a lot of times we're, we are working so hard now so that we can enjoy our retirement later. But we're suffering now because we're not spending enough time in the Word. We're pursuing wrong things. Maybe we have to change the type of music we listen to. Because the words are not edifying. The words are not leading us to the Lord. Our social media presence. Maybe we're spending too much time scrolling through our social media. Maybe we're too concerned about what others think about us that are viewing our social media. 
that social media may be drawing us into things that we shouldn't be drawn into and images that we shouldn't see. And likewise, our internet usage, what are we looking at? How much time are we spending on the internet and and what are we looking at? Online streaming such as Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, what are we watching? Are we watching things that are building us up? Are we watching images that help us in our walk with God? Or are we seeing things that we shouldn't see? Are we hearing things we shouldn't hear? And lastly, foster adoption and respite care. Maybe I'm so comfortable in my life where I've got one kid and we seem to have things going pretty well. What if God calls me to bring in another child into our household? Maybe that's the cost I have to pay, is is the comforts that I'm living in now. You know, here's a small example, a practical example of of a cost. Yesterday, Megan and I were talking, and she was telling me about how she had been looking up tickets for a concert in Kansas City. And she thought it would be good for us to to, to take a day and go to Kansas City, have some fun, and the, the tickets for the concert were reasonable, But when she was looking at the cost, there was an asterisk by it. And when she read the asterisk, it said that parts of the money towards the ticket would go to a non-for-profit organization. And on the surface level, that sounds great. But my wife, being the amazing woman she is, and and in her discernment, she looked up that non-for-profit organization. And you know what she found? She found that that money from the ticket going there is to support the awareness and the arts of the LGBTQ. So at that point, we decided we can't go there. We can't spend the money on these tickets because of what some of that money is going to. And I know that that sounds like a a small thing, but these things start adding up. And this is a cost of, I should be able to go to a concert. I should be able to do this and do that, but I can't do it if it isn't building up the Lord and His kingdom. The idea of changing some of these these costs in our daily life, they're uncomfortable because they require change. I personally am a creature of habit. When we go out to a restaurant, I will almost always order the same thing I ordered the previous time. I know what I like. And I don't want to waste a time going to a restaurant and order something new just to try it out and then for it to not be good. I like my routine because it's comfortable. So many of you know that in late January, early February, I'm going to Nairobi, Kenya. And I say that to say, I've never been out of the country. So when Darren heard that, after he, they hired me, he said, what did we do? We got to get you on a mission trip. So here I am, I'm going on this mission trip, 
Never been out of the country. I've been all over our country, but I've never been out of the country. Okay, so there's a flight to Atlanta. There's a a flight from Atlanta to Amsterdam and Amsterdam to Nairobi. Both of those flights are nine hours apiece. I mean, I'm going next to the equator. I mean, I can go to Maine. I can go to Florida, California, but man, I'm going to Africa. You asked me when I was a kid if I was going to be going to Africa, I would have said no. Okay, no, but I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm stoked, I'm scared, okay? So this is my plea from you to pray for me as this time comes, because it's, I mean, it's, we're less than two months away for me going to Nairobi, Kenya. Discomfort, okay? But when Donald asked me why I just agreed to go, I told him this, that I couldn't find a good enough reason to say no. I couldn't come up with a good enough reason to say no. My discomfort, my anxiety is not a good enough reason to say no. And so although that statement kind of revs my, my heartbeat up a little bit, it's also pretty refreshing to know that I'm out of control and the Lord is. And when you know, he's surrounding me with a team of people I trust explicitly. And I know that at any point... If I asked them to just stop what they were doing and pray over me, it'd be done. It's amazing. So sometimes stepping, out of that discom- stepping into that discomfort is good. I mean, look how it turned out for Joseph and Mary. They got to be the parents of the Christ child. How amazing. Think about the journey that the disciples got to go on because they dropped everything and they went with him. They got to see miracles happen. Have you seen miracles happen? Not like that, I haven't. It's amazing. Remarkable. So remember at the beginning of our sermon, we talked about dirty jobs. We talked about dirty jobs, and sometimes following Jesus is like a dirty job. The journey can be messy, it can be uncomfortable, it can be smelly, not at all what we might have wanted to do. But going through those situations is a time of sanctification for us. It's a time of sanctification. But if these dirty jobs help us grow closer to God then it is absolutely worth it. And every one of us should be excited to count that cost. There might be some of you in here today who who are undecided. You've heard about Jesus. You've read stories about him. You've heard sermons about him. But at this point, you're still wondering, is it worth the cost for me to follow him? And the answer is, yes, it is worth it. And today could be that day for you that you decide to count that cost and believe in him. Today could be that day. That day where your adventure begins, much like those we read about in our our Bible this morning. Keep in mind that we're talking about more than just making a profession, right? 
That's important, solid piece of that whole process. But it's more than just words. It's action too. It's a reliance on God. It's faith. God conveys a clear message through Paul when in Acts 17.30, he says that everyone, everywhere needs to repent. Okay, that's very clear. But something that also is clear, we read already out of Malachi. And so as I read this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray after we read this. And Ryan and his, his crew are going to come out here and, and lead us in another song. But Malachi 3.16 again says, God acknowledges those who fear him. God acknowledges those who fear him. It takes a great fear of the Lord to willingly endure the cost. Our greatest example is Jesus. He had the utmost fear for the Lord. He counted the cost to the bitter end. Are you going to count the cost to the bitter end? I hope so. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son, for your son incarnate, that, the, that your God-man came down to earth to be Jesus Christ, to empty himself out for us. Thank you, God, that instead of death, we get to pay a cost Instead of giving us what we deserve, God, you've given us mercy. You've given us grace. You've given us love, compassion. God, you gave us your son. And he went up on that tree and he died for us to save us from our sins. Father, I thank you for the stories we have in your word about those who paid a cost to follow you. Thank you for the inspiration that it gives us, the encouragement, the example. I pray today, Father, that if anybody in this room or watching online has, is wanting to pay that cost, that they would do so, Father that your spirit would convict them, Father, that they would recognize you as their king, as their master, as their savior. God, we thank you for all that you do, all that you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.